Welcome to Succession Stories, insights for next generation entrepreneurs. I'm Lori Barkman. I've spent my career bringing an entrepreneurial approach to mature companies struggling with change. As an outside executive of a third generation, 120 year old company, I was part of a long-term succession plan. Now I work with entrepreneurs, privately held companies and family businesses to develop innovations that create enterprise value and transition plans to achieve their long-term goals. On this podcast, listen in while I talk with entrepreneurs who are driving innovation and culture change. I speak with owners who successfully transition their company and others who experience disappointment along the way. Guests also include experts in multi-generational businesses and entrepreneurship. If you are a next-generation entrepreneur looking for inspiration to grow and thrive, or an owner who can't figure out the best way to transition their closely held company, this podcast is for you. I spoke with Elizabeth Blount McCormick, second-generation CEO of Uniglobe Travel Designers. Uniglobe is an independent travel company serving corporate and leisure travelers in the U.S. At the time of this interview, the global travel industry faced $1.2 trillion in losses due to the COVID-19 pandemic, an amount equal to the entire GDP of Mexico. Elizabeth discussed the impact on her company, and as you might expect, it's been tough. She shares how focusing on client service, industry relationships, and fresh ideas are helping the team get to the other side of the rainbow, to use her phrase. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you enjoy the episode. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, Elizabeth. Thanks for being on the show today. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. It's been a tough year for you and for your firm and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Uniglobe Travel Designers. I want to start with you, though, because I think you have an interesting story with you and your mom that you're second generation. I know there's other family members that have been in the company, too. And I thought you could start by giving a brief history of the company. Tell us about your mom, Elsie, and how and why she started the firm. Okay. So we actually used this business for our spring and summer travel. And the original owner approached my mom and said, why don't you become my partner? And she did. And at the time, she had like one and a half people realized that the original owner and her partner wasn't a great business person. So she bought him out. And so she took a hobby. We fortunately have been able to travel and travel has been something my parents instilled in us from being really young. So it was just a natural fit because we love to travel and she thought it'd be a good way for us to continue to see the world. She didn't have any like goal to make a lot of money because she didn't need to do that. So it was really just growing a business. And she grew from one and a half people to a staff of 14 when I joined her. And she really grew organically. So a lot of the accounts that she landed were just because of her reputation here in Columbus, Ohio. She'd been on a number of boards and had won a number of awards. And she'd helped my father grow his medical practice. He's an ophthalmologist. So it was really word of mouth and reputation. And the first large account she landed was here in Columbus, I always say, the Ohio State University. And with that, it just led to other businesses and Columbus City Schools and other private companies that looked at our business and wanted to work with her. So our business at the time, and actually, when I joined her, it was in 2006. And at the time, we had done like 13, well, actually, I think it was like 9 million, right? And I joined her and I thought, wow, this is great, but what else can we do? And me personally, I had a, a background in retail. I went to Spelman College in Atlanta, and then I moved to San Francisco, worked for the Gap Company. So the Gap Corporation, their headquarters is there, and then there's one in New York. And then after I completed the training program, moved to Miami, Florida, and was there for three years. And then my last stint in retail was working for Bono. 
So the head singer of U2 has a clothing line called Eden. It's sold in Bergdorf's and Barney's and even Marcus. And I was traveling all over the world. I was production manager of that line and kind of getting a little burnout. And so my mom's sister and I had this conversation and she said, look, I think I'm going to sell the business. And Jacqueline and I said, well, we're going to move home. We want to try our hands at entrepreneurship because we watched my father's practice, we watched my mom with this business. And so I joined her in 2006. And at the time we had 14 people. We did like nine or $10 million a year in sales. And when Jacqueline and I joined, we were trying to figure out like, what do we need to do? Right. And how, and then the things that we looked at that we had to do were obviously investing in marketing. We had to develop a website. We had to hire, you know, a company to do that for us to track SEO. So just things like that. We had to participate in networking events and panels and, and talk to marketing firms just to get our name out there because it's really important. Your presence on social media needs to be consistent, you know, with your brand promise throughout every channel. And so it was, it was those kind of things that we had to do just to kind of become more relevant. Does that make sense? And to take us to the next level. <laughs> yeah. So you shared a lot there. So your mom started it. You were in retail. You moved around a lot. Travel was part of your family hobby. As you said, you enjoyed family trips and then it became yes. a business. And you yourself traveled a lot with your job. And so you probably saw and knew the logistics of going into travel. Did you think about as a customer, wow, how could I make this easier for people? Yes, absolutely. I did. And, and, and really the recommendations of where people stay and setting up car services, like I went to New Delhi a few times and I always had a car service waiting for me. That's just not a place that you, you want to fly to and not have transportation arranged, right? So things like that, I would always think about what would I want to happen? What would make this better as I was traveling? And so that's been helpful with our, our corporate clients as well, because I was a, a road warrior. And if the pandemic wasn't happening, I'd be on the road now. We spend a lot of time just onboarding clients, onboarding corporate clients and spend, you know, a couple of weeks at a time, different places across the United States. So I, I just understood and understand the frustration and, and how you need to have somebody that you can talk to as an expert that will advocate for you should something come up because something always comes up when you're traveling. So you said it wasn't necessarily in your plans to join the family business, but you and your sister talked about it. What was that conversation like? Yeah. We just said, like, why don't we give it a shot? She was at the DOJ in Washington, D.C. She thought about being an attorney, and then that really wasn't what she, she wanted to do. And so we thought, well, let's move back to Columbus. And we did. And, you know, we just, we were trying to, to learn the business and understand, because travel is a little complex. I mean, there's so many parts to it. The airlines have different rules, hotels, car rentals, when you're dealing with corporations or discounts we can establish. So we really had to just really submerge ourselves in the business to understand how it works and then what we needed to do, right? And we started connecting with the technology just throughout the world, honestly, to see what was out there as far as reporting is concerned. We really focused on our relationships with the different, you know, hotel, airline, and car rental reps because you just, relationships are key, really. To be successful, you've got to have trust and you've got to have those relationships that are reciprocal. And so we spent a lot of time focusing on those things because we knew like we're essentially the middleman at times, right? So if a, a flight is canceled, our customers are angry at us. So we have to do everything that we can and try to alleviate that stress. But it's, it's understanding like, who do we need to talk to? Who are the players in a certain situation? We spent a lot of time with that, really just becoming well-known in the industry and, and focusing on those relationships. And it's been very helpful in our growth. Well, landing Ohio State University as one of your first clients was no small feat. That's a pretty big institution with a lot of travel professors <laughs> and academics and <Yeah>. athletic teams. <laughs> yes. 
And so, of course, I'm a huge U2 fan, Bono. And just give us 30 seconds on working with Bono. What was that like? Okay, so it was with his wife. So he, at the time, was on the North American tour. So she would fly in from Ireland just to see what was happening with the line. And if we were meeting kind of the direction that she wanted along with where the designer is executing um, her vision of the, of the brand. So it was her kind of way to get into the retail business. She's a nice woman. We had a good relationship. It was great uh, working with her. And I spent a lot of time. It was interesting. It was a smaller brand. So I spent a lot of time in Soho. I would source different items. It wasn't like working for, you know, um, like Gap, which we would make hundreds of thousands of units. We were making like a hundred, right? So it was very special, it was specialty items and special pieces that were uh, sold across, all across the, the U.S. So you had this great retail experience. You traveled the world and you said, okay, it's time to come back to Columbus. Mm-hmm. What was that transition like working alongside your mother and your sister? Well, I mean, the thing is that the th- I was coming from the smaller boutique brand, which was like a small business. So it was, it was an easy transition to kind of apply what I was doing um, at Eden and then also what I did at Gap, right? So we took a lot of just the, the best practices and we had a handbook, but we needed to perfect that. So it was really a lot of what are the skills that we can take and the learnings that we can take from our past work experiences to apply to the business to make it better. And I mean, at the time, I mean, my mom just, again, she was just, she was great, uh, a great businesswoman, very smart and savvy, but there were just things she really didn't have time to do that it was like, now let's get some structure in place. Let's kind of, and not, we, did, we don't want to get away from the fact that we are a, a family owned business because there's something special about that. I mean, we and the people that work for us, they are our family, but we also had to get some like procedures and policies in place. We need, we had to implement reviews and and talk to people quarterly and just that, you know, feedback, having clients participate in surveys, like that's how we could get really, we could really perfect our service, right? You have to, you have to expect, inspect what you expect. So for my mom, she was like, why do we do all this stuff? I mean, she was just like, let's just grow the business. But in order to grow it properly, you have to put those, those processes and best practices in place. So we are all very close. My mom, sister and I, my sister does not work in the business. She works in diversity and inclusion as a head DNI lead for the third largest grocer in the country. However, we still like we I consult with him. My mom still works with me in the business. Um, but I, my mom was able to see the importance of putting those processes in place. Because if we have it's it's so it's so much easier now. And that's what I wanted. I didn't want it to get to the point when we were looking at opportunities that it was always like a panic and hectic. It's just like, okay, we, we know what we have to do. If we speak to a prospect, this is the information we have to send over. And we have it, it's like a well-oiled machine now. And that's what I was trying to get to. And it takes a while. You walk into a family business and I, and my mother had grown it. And I was just trying to like learn the ropes from her. I took over a lot of the relationships that she managed for many years, but I learned the art of it. And it really is just being authentic and genuine. And when you are that way and, and you are, and you, you're true to who you are, people can see that you know, you really care. And the thing about our clients is it doesn't matter the size of the corporate client or even the leisure client, they're going, they're going to receive that same service. And that's what my mom just instilled in me. We have a saying, the customer is always right, even when they're wrong. And we believe that. So it's like, you know, lose the battle, win the war, right? Like there are things that come up, people are frustrated, things happen in travel, like, okay, the customer is right, let's make it right. And then, and because of that, you've had a lot of growth. And, and there are times that maybe, the customer isn't 100% right, but 
who cares? Like just take care of the issue. Yeah, definitely. And people appreciate that because customer service is key. You know that in your business, right? I mean, it's just when you see it, you're like, oh my gosh, they really do care. And they're, and they're always there and they're always around. A good customer service is hard to find. And I think people miss that. Well, especially when you're traveling, you know, it can be very tense if things are running late and you're missing a connection or someone's not showing up or, you know, yes. and then things can escalate very quickly. So if you're there for them providing that service, that's great. I also love the example you shared for creating structure in the organization because I, I talked to a lot of people in different generations and second generation kind of has the reputation of, well, they just sort of do what the first gen did. They don't want to mess anything up. And I love how you you came into the business with your sister and said, okay, well, what can we do differently? And you focused on putting processes in place so that you can scale it. And you mentioned when you joined, you were 14 employees and the company was around 9 million. And I think I read some articles about your revenues. If you can share just high level, I mean, how much growth did you see over, you know, a 15 year period or so? Yeah. Well, last year in 2019, we did 37.5 million. It was our biggest year. And if COVID would not have happened, this would have been our biggest year yet. So it was a little bit of a bummer, but we've grown and, and doubled the revenue. Um, and then you know, obviously tripled it from that time when I joined her in 2006. Um, we, um, you know, again, it's, it's having the process in, in place. And also I think that my mom thinks I, I just, I'm just not scared to try things. And I mean, the, the, I always say the worst I can hear is no. And no, is, is, it could be not now. Maybe the time wasn't right. And I have so many examples of that where it was just something I was being redirected to something better. But I, I always say to people, like, just try it. And even during this time, I know we're going to get to that a little bit later, but it's, this is not the time to be scared. It's the time to, to go out there and, and try something. You never know how, what, what can happen, right? And what other way you can be successful or what other opportunity is out there. So you focused on HR and kind of the structure internally. Also, it sounds like technology, you invested in technology. Yes. Were there any innovations that you would say that you brought into the business, whether it was how you worked or, you know, how the company went to market? Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, is that we, we responded to so many like RFPs, requests for proposals, right? And we wouldn't have a relationship and we would spend all this time responding. We wouldn't win the business. We would be so bummed out. So we just decided going forward, and this was maybe after not winning a few, right? We just said, you know what, we're not going to do this unless we have a strong, solid relationship there, unless we know that they have a strong commitment to make a change, like, because otherwise it's just a waste of time. So that was the best practice we put in place instead of just bidding on anything, right? And, and even to this day, there's something that just won't even respond to because it just, it's not a good use of our time. And, and oftentimes, unfortunately, hopefully this will change, but oftentimes, you know, because I'm a black and women-owned business and nationally certified in both of those levels, they want to have a that type of supplier in the mix, but there really is no chance for me to win the business. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we just we just learned that uh, quickly. And then with our team, I mean, we just looked at the people we we're bringing in and looked at people that were stepping up and we're really serious about our culture, right? We want people to be friends with each other, you know, a team that gets along that are friends with each other are more successful than a team that doesn't. So spent a lot of time focusing on our culture. Um, and that was a change because it, it's just like, and, and it's funny, I had this conversation with someone that said, everyone who works for you, you should want to have sit down and have a meal with that person, whoever they are on your team. And I thought, well, that's a really good way to, to figure out if I really, because you really want to like the people. And me as the leader of the business, I want to feel comfortable in, in any situation, right? And so I 
started looking around and it, it was interesting. The people that I wouldn't feel comfortable having a meal with, like somehow things happened, they either left or we parted ways or whatever. Um, but I do like everyone who works for me. And that's an important thing, right? Just to be able to do that and to get to that point. So we focus a lot on the culture, making sure people are the right fits. Um, now we work with a firm that's based out of Los Angeles. They recruit um, travel consultants and from all over they staff, like they've staffed Netflix travel department. So they have high quality talent and you have to have that relationship because as we continue to grow, I want to be able to just have that talent at my fingertips. So things like that, instead of just putting, like it's not about putting an ad on Indeed, it's about having a direct relationship. So it was just that, those kind of best practices, like, okay, if we want the best talent, then we need to work with a firm who does that. And yeah, we'll have to pay something for that talent, but it's worth it because we'll have an A, you know, an A player, an A, a plus employee. Yeah. And you've defined your fit. You've defined, you know, what's the type of person characteristics that would be successful. And then when you're recruiting and retaining, you're using that as your lens, which is really smart. Yes. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the pandemic. Again, I know this has been really tricky and you and I had rescheduled this a couple of times. Yes. And rightly so. I think it was important for you to be ready to have a conversation about it. It's so raw because it's happening right now. And this is a show that maybe a year from now, somebody listened to it. So it's not just about today. I think it's about resilience and how do you get through this? And so many companies are experiencing dramatic shifts in the market that were unexpected. And that's hard. And the last time we encountered this at a macro scale was was around 2009. So I know you experienced perhaps some disruption in your business around then right after you joined, about three years after you joined the company. Now, granted, it's, it's very different, but maybe there are some things there that are similar that you drew from. I'm curious to hear about your experience. So let's start with the company values because that's the pillar. And how have your company values helped drive your business decisions during the pandemic? Well, I mean, people. So, you know, people are, are, are critical, obviously, our team. And I, I, there's so many things I read about, like your, your team has to be happy and feel purposeful um, in order to really um, produce and demonstrate like the, the, the service level, right, that we promise and our, our brand promise to our clients. So, The thing that has been difficult, though, uh, during the pandemic is that we kept a lot of people on because just with unemployment and the fiasco with that, right, for people to receive their checks. And I mean, there were times that you weren't really doing a lot, but I just didn't want to put people to put my, you know, my family right in in that position. Um, and that was really hard. Now, the, before you and I, I think the last time we were, we were going to speak, I had to furlough people. Um, and, and we're hoping things will turn around in November. We gave a, a three-month furlough. And they're all able to collect unemployment. But that was difficult. But it's what we had to do. I mean, there's so many travel businesses that are going out of business uh, because they, they maybe they were siloed or they were in a niche that's just not doing anything. And I've seen that happen um, with some of our, our clients and prospects where people just close their doors down because it was just too difficult um, to maintain just to kind of survive. So I say I'm treading water right now. Um, but that was really, it was hard for me to do that. Uh, but it's, it's just what I had to do. And, and people, what I like is most of my employees said, I understand it and I want to have a place to come back to. So I get what you have to do, which is good. I mean, there are how many millions of people are unemployed right now, but no one wants to do that as, a, as an owner of a business, as a leader, you don't want to let people down, but I want to be here. Right. And that's why I'm just like, I just have to keep pushing and, and, and 
plugging right along to be here, um, you know, just for, for the, to the other side, to get the other side of the rainbow. That's what I always say. Get to the other side <laughs> of the rainbow. The rainbow. Yes. Yeah. So what has been the impact? Have you, you know, again, rough numbers, if you're, if you're able to share, you know, is it down by half? Is it down by more than that? Yeah, more than that. And yeah, I mean, I mean, we used to run like 300 tickets a day. So it's significantly down from that. But I will tell you, things interesting is back in March when everything kind of erupted, one of our clients said, hey, we are, we have a travel ban in place until September 1st. And then, and then I thought, oh my God, it's going to take forever. And then September 1st was last week, right? And a week before that, the client reached out and said, hey, the travel ban's lifted. We're at business as usual. So that was encouraging to me because I'm starting to see more of that. Um, the thing though that's interesting is that despite the fact that this is happening, I mean, we've applied and responded to RFPs, we've won business, brought new clients on. It's all about this implementation onboarding time. Um, we're doing virtual training. So we have some clients that their kickoff date is October 1st, which is a couple of weeks from now. So we haven't slowed down, right? We're still, like, we still, we had our pipeline that we're still working because what we found is that if corporations didn't have a travel partner or had one and the relationship wasn't strong, like if they were, if they're still waiting for refunds from airlines or refunds from hotels, just realized they wanted a strong relationship and a partner that really cared. And because of that, we were able to demonstrate that. So we've, we've been able to win business um, and, and just from other people that maybe weren't providing the service level. So it hasn't been terrible. And people think it's crazy that in COVID, but we've brought on 12 new accounts. That's fantastic. All across the U.S. That's great. Which is great. I just have to get to the point where they're all booking. <laughs> we just want them to book, right? <laughs> That's right. But you've won the business. You had the sales process. As you said earlier, it's a well-oiled machine. Yes. I did get a question from someone in my audience that wanted to know about process changes around selling at this time. And because you brought it up, I'll ask you, okay. have you changed the sales process at all? No, we're still kind of, we're doing what, what we've done in the past. Right. And it's like, it's interesting. You just, I, I, we have our, you know, our prospect list, we have our pipeline, but still just following the process, connecting, Hey, is there anything that you need? How, how are things going? How was COVID handled? I mean, we've actually had a number of conversations for our corporate clients and then the general public about what the new travel experience will look like. And that's been very helpful because if you know what to expect when you're traveling, you feel more comfortable. So a lot of those conversations, again, that we've had and we've invited prospects to it, they're like, oh, wow, like, okay, so this is somebody that we can go to, someone we can trust because people want to have a trusted advisor, right? Like we, one of our clients is um, University of Missouri and, um, and we have not done a full onboard. That was supposed to happen first quarter of this year and obviously all of our plans have been changed. But there was someone there at the university who I guess wasn't that excited about this, but after they were trying to fight with the airlines and hotels, like, when are we bringing them on? Because we did that for a number of clients. I mean, we were working around the clock in March because we were trying to obviously rescue people, get people back to the U.S., all that kind of stuff. So we were working 24-7. And then obviously we continued to advocate for our clients. We were able to get refunds from hotels. And it was a, a lot of that uh, nudging and pushing. But it's nice to have somebody doing that for you who can leverage relationships on your behalf instead of someone just calling 1-800-DELTA, right, and trying it yourself. Um, and so we have so many stories and examples because that's been a lot of the questions that we received. What have you been doing in COVID? How would you have handled the situation? We have a duty of care software. We can locate any travelers anywhere in the world. So that's helpful. So it's just things like that. 
And again, it's not being salesy, but it's being genuine. And I, and I know that I'm not for everyone and that's okay. And so if I talk to someone and it just doesn't seem like it's the right fit, then I'm fine with that because there are other opportunities out there. You can't get hung up on that one, that one, um, that one opportunity that you don't win because there's so many others. And I, I think that, you know, people, people know, like they can reach out to me. I think that means different is that we've grown a lot, but I'm still like, even though I'm the president, I'm still uh, around. I'm still, I'll still respond to emails. People are super surprised by that, but I will, because I want people to know, I, I know what's happening. I know what's going on. It's my job to do that. Again, regardless of the size of the client, if people are like, I'm responding to a client and they're like, you're the president. I don't think this is for you. I said, no, it is. And I'll get this taken care of. You know, it's just that kind of stuff. It's just right. never let your ego get so big that you forget like your customers are, are critical to your success. And just that it takes one second to respond to an email and people really appreciate that. Um, just that you do care and you're not too, you're not too big for your britches, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's interesting too that you, you know, you when you think about service and obviously service has been a big part of your corporate DNA and I'm sure a big part of what you talk about in RFPs and, and talking to prospective clients, but this client advocate role, you know, maybe it was there, maybe it wasn't as high on the list as it is now where this could be millions of dollars back to companies that you've helped get, you know, secure back for them and, yes. and sort of in the pitch. And as you said, it's not a salesy thing. It's just, hey, this is the value we provide. Maybe in the past it was a footnote. Whereas now you're really going to stand behind that. and You have a lot of examples to share. So it's part of the service mix. It's got a bigger part of that talk track. Agreed. And one thing that we did though, and this is something that other entrepreneurs and, and business leaders that are listening, is that after we had some success, we asked for recommendations and video testimonials. And that was amazing, you know, on the corporate and on the leisure side. And just people were willing to say, thank God you were so helpful, right? I mean, and that's something that I would just remind people, like, I'm sure people have done amazing things for their clients. And, and like, there's nothing wrong with asking someone to give you a recommendation. And in this environment, even more so now, people want to be kind and they want to do something nice. So it's just like, again, take the time, ask the question and people will do it. So we had a number of video testimonials. And again, those are great examples of clients from all across the U.S. that we were able to use to demonstrate just really being that client advocate and taking it seriously and going to bat for our clients. That's fantastic. So you, you shared some advice for small business leaders and kind of getting through this. What do you see as you head into 2021? Uh, what would you say are some of the top things for, for small business owners and CEOs to, to think about as they're looking ahead and, and maybe around reinventing their business? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone is using, I think the buzzword is pivot, right? And I think that one thing that we did uh, that was interesting is that we reached out to a number of our uh, suppliers that we booked vacations with and we started happy hours and we would do lunch and learns and invite people to attend these zoom calls we played some games gave some things away but we wanted people to continue to dream about travel and with the dreaming about travel we want them to we want to come to we want to be the top of their mind as unicorn travel designers right and, I, and, and that was just something that I think my team thought it was a little crazy. But then as we started doing it, they're like, this makes a lot of sense. Like, this is great. It's a great platform. It's a good way for us to talk about the places all over the world. And then recently, we focus on domestic locations because, as you know, we're unfortunately, U.S. passport holders are banned from traveling to a number of places. That will change. But for the moment, though, there's so many wonderful places here in the U.S. We started, we talked about 
um, RV trips. We're, we're planning luxury RV trips and train trips for people. So my point is, is that there, you just have to think about what's out there. There's an opportunity there. And so I'd say to, to business owners and leaders right now, start like, just start thinking about that. And really, I love saying to my team, like, what do you think? Do you have an idea? Just like collaborating and everyone coming together um, is, is really helpful, but you've, you've got to be able to, to kind of adjust and ebb and flow and, and, and be creative. I mean, I posted something on Facebook about RV trips and I had like 200 shares and I forget how many comments. It was insane, right? And my team was like blown away. And it's just things like that because people want to continue to dream. People want to travel, but they want to do it safely and they want to, be, they want to make sure there's social distancing and, and that then social distancing practices are in place. But it really is like, think about it. Is there something that, you could, that you're not doing right now that could really appeal, right, to your clients? And even though we posted about our V trips, the thing that was interesting is that other trips came from that. So maybe like after digging deeper and learning more about RV trips, maybe it's just like, well, I want to do something else. Maybe the RV trip isn't for me, but it was just that sparked something else to get them to book multiple trips with us. It's just that kind of stuff. And again, there you are, like not hard selling, but just saying, hey, this is something to think about. You're encouraging people to dream. And I think in, in business in general, that's what we need to do as business owners. What, what, what can I offer my clients? Maybe they're not getting. Um, I just think it's something that has been really helpful for us. The other thing, too, that we started doing a couple years ago, and I've said this to other uh, travel company owners, is that um, we charge service fees for leisure because people would call us and they'd want us to do all this research. They take all the research and book it themselves. Well, all the people that work for me, they still have to be paid, right? So I said, wait a minute, you're coming to us. We're the expert. It's a consultation fee. However, we're, we're, we answer your call if you're traveling. We're available 24-7. We deal with every aspect. Like, I mean, some things are so detailed when people want us to, to plan meals or excursions and that's fine. Or it depends on the client. could be a step-by-step -step itinerary, no problem. But again, our, you're paying for our expertise and our, our knowledge and our relationships and people see the value in that. So I'd say to business owners, is there another way you can generate revenue? Is there a local partner that maybe you could partner with? Like I'm talking to some local businesses here in Columbus about possibly partnering together on some travel items, just something like that, again, to continue to reinforce your brand. But it's just, there's just so many possibilities out there. And I think that some people are really overwhelmed and they just, they're kind of digging themselves in a, into a hole. And you just want to just got to pull yourself out of that and see are there people that I could partner with locally. We could do something to promote my brand and their company. So, so I rambled, but it's just something to think about. Yeah. No, no, and, and thinking differently, and and maybe there is a pivot in there, and it starts with that strategy of what what can we do, mm -hmm. and getting your team together and collaborating. So those are all great ideas. And you mentioned road trips, so uh, I did a little research because I was curious of what the most popular road trip destinations in the United States have been recently. So uh, I don't know if this is consistent with what you've seen. Number one state being Wyoming. Oh yes, absolutely. Yep. Followed by Montana and South Dakota. Yep. Absolutely. Just as far west as people <laughs> can go to. And it's true. And beautiful destinations. And outdoor activities. Yeah, that maybe they wouldn't have normally gone to. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. And I love the idea. A friend of mine owns an RV niche manufacturing company, and, and I think they've been enjoying some of the bounce back to RVing. So that's, that's good for them. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> that's amazing. No, that's great. So how do you think about legacy? Are you starting to bring in some other family members? I mean, you're, you're still very much in the business. You're not looking to retire anytime soon, but you're second generation. Do you have any thoughts about 
one day, this being a third generation company? You know what? I, I'm not sure. It's interesting you brought that up because I started thinking about that recently. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, right now, my husband and I, we have a little dog and my sister has her dog. So we don't have anyone that we would pass it off to. But I do have a niece and nephew. They might be interested, but I need to start thinking about it. I think I've just been like just on the grind. <laughs> you know what I mean? So much. Understandable. Better. Understandable. Yes. <laughs> but it is a good question. I need to give it some thought. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Certainly not for tomorrow, but people do say it takes a while. So I understand that it can. I know. Yeah, for sure. So some quick questions for you. One of them is if there were no travel restrictions, where would you be right now? Okay. I was supposed to be um, cruising the Greek islands right now. I had a cruise that was booked every year. I put together a president's cruise. Uh, we were starting in Athens and ending in Venice. And I'm so sad. We canceled it in March. So that's where I would be. I'd probably be in Mykonos or Santorini right now, just cruising, you know, the, the Mediterranean and living my best life. <laughs> that's where I would be. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, she said you can dream it and you can see it in your mind. <laughs> that's right. That's right. If you were going to write a book about your life, what would the title be? Failure is not an option. That's a good title. What do you think is the most difficult part about being a leader? Oh, my gosh. Being strong all the time. And, you know, during COVID, people were looking to me to, to be the strength and the leader. And I was able to do that. But there are moments when you're just like, can I do this anymore? And you can and you will and you figure it out. But as a leader, people can't see you. You can't break down. You always have to, you know, have that that strong um, position, you have to always have to be like, have your head on straight and, and know where you're going because people are looking to you to, to drive the, to drive the ship, right. Or, or drive the boat. And because of that, um, that, that was, that was, that was really hard, but I've gotten through it and I'm better and no one ever saw me break down because you can't do that. Right. Um, but it, uh, that's really hard though. It, it's, it's hard to lead a company. And, and then as you know, like sometimes it can be lonely. Right. And it's nice to be able to talk to other business owners to get their perspective. And that's what's been nice too during this time. I've had so many people I could just reach out to. We just have a just a transparent conversation. How are you doing? How are things going? And what do you need? And sometimes it's just having a listening ear. Right. And there were so many things like things happened where at a um, couple of unfortunately, people had to, had to fire, had a couple of people quit. And, and with that, it was it was an, it was a weird time to do it during the pandemic, but it was the right time. Right. Because it gave me time to really reevaluate, um, figure out there were some things that weren't going well. that should have been taken care of for my clients. So now during this kind of lull, this kind of quieter time, we're able to get things together. Right. And we're everything that we promised we were delivering that. And that it was a hard thing. But I mean, I think that my team looked at me and they're like, wow, she knows a lot about this business. She knows everything about it. And this person or these people that are leaving are no, it just there were no big deal. And I think that people see that and they feel comfortable and confident and they're like, wow, okay, I'm fine where I am. Because people, I mean, think about that. When you're, you're responsible for people's uh, livelihood, for their vacations they can go on, for the, for the things they want to buy, for their, their kids' sports they want their kids to participate in, for their mortgages, all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's, it's a big feat, but it's one that I know that I welcome. And I, it's one of my, the thing that drives me every day is the fact that I'm providing a place for people to work, to grow, to be respected, um, and, and to see the opportunity, but also to have a good life. And I think that so many people looked at that and realized like, like I really do care. And that's what I want people to understand that work here. I do care about you. I'm going to do everything I can. Um, and this business will still be here. Uh, but 
there's also like that other side that people don't talk about where it's like, this is really hard. It's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard, but you get through it. <laughs> yeah, you get through it and it can be lonely at the top. Yes. Do you have a favorite saying about entrepreneurship? I do. A no leads to a better yes. So many times I was told no, and then something was so much better. And it's my favorite saying. I always tell people that. A no is just, it's a redirection to something that you never even expected. My mind has always been blown. Um, and, and I'll tell you, when I first started working in the business, responding to RFPs, and I would just get depressed if we didn't win it. And then I realized like there were reasons for that. And I had a bigger opportunities and better opportunities because of those no's. I love that. I love that. If someone wants to learn more, Elizabeth, about you or Uniglobe Travel Designers, how do they find you online? Okay, so um, on Instagram, it's Uniglobe TD, so Tango Delta. And then obviously, it's UniglobeTravelDesigners.com um, on Facebook. And we have a LinkedIn page as well. Uh, but that's a good way to reach out to us if there are any questions about travel. Um, you know, there are a lot of uh, restrictions out there. There's still some states that require quarantine. So I'm saying to people, if you're interested in going somewhere, like consult a travel expert just so that you don't fly someplace and you're quarantined for two weeks and you don't even get to see your family or you're not able to attend your meeting. So just make sure, just enlist an expert. If we use experts for so many different things. Use one now. It's just nice to have that you know, that, that, that uh, relationship and that advocate. It's nice to have you on their side. Yes. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being with me today. It was great to talk to you and I really learned a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lori. I appreciate it. Innovation, transition, growth. Easy to say, but hard to do. If you're an entrepreneur facing these challenges, I get it. I work with businesses from small to big for strategic planning with your team to achieve your vision. Visit smalldotbig.com to schedule a call with me. I'd love to connect with you. Be sure to catch the next Succession Stories episode with more insights for next generation entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening.